Hey everyone, and welcome to the United States from Australia podcast. This week, we'll be speaking with Arjun Dhingra. Arjun has been through an amazing journey between Australia and America, and I'm excited to dig in today. Arjun, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ankit. Appreciate that intro. Um, surprised you didn't mention how long we've known each other. Oh, we'll, we'll definitely get straight into it. So, <laughs> myself and uh, Arjun, just for the audience, uh, gosh, we go back, I'd say, 25 years eight, almost? 28 years, 1995. 28 years. And, you know, when we were just young kids uh, hanging out in Melbourne, in Australia, all the way to uh, hanging out in America a few years ago, and, and even, I guess, the start of this year. So, yeah, we've definitely known each other a long, long time, but Arjun uh, has an amazing journey. He's, he's lived in various countries, um, but most importantly, we're here to know his journey going to U.S., and uh, we'll get into the first question, Arjun. So first up, tell us about your journey of getting your visa and moving to America, and what inspired you to make the leap? Yeah, right, for sure. So um, I was actually, I moved to the US to do my MBA. So let's start there. But it, yeah. it wasn't your typical like work visa. I came on a student visa. But if we backtrack prior to that, I, it's, kind of, it's about my career journey um, and some regrets and some zigs and zags and eventually getting here to where I am today. So yeah. taking it back to undergrad uni, I probably chose the, I chose the right degree, wrong majors. And another regret there I had, though, was not going to the U.S. on exchange, like for one semester, maybe two semesters, um, like quite a few of my mates did. I think that was a regret. Like I probably would have gone to USC. So Melbourne Uni had a exchange program. So anyone listening out there who is an undergrad, make the most of exchange programs, whether it's going to like Europe, Asia, America. I definitely regret it, both from a social point of view, or social point of view, just life experience, but also, you know, maybe some career opportunities post undergrad. So that yep. was a regret that I carried on to uh, in, into my early corporate life. You know, I started working in advisory and insurance at Deloitte, um, moved into property development, but none of this was really my true passion. Uh, I was actually, I think, twenty five when I had an epiphany watching Ballers and. Entourage, two of my favorite TV shows, both oh, HBO it. shows. I know you like uh, both of them too, especially Entourage. Um, so it inspired me, like, where can I tap in my passion, my skill set, and my actual, I guess, desire? And it was to be a sports agent. So mm-hmm. I was in Melbourne and, you know, obviously in Australia, the culture is very different to America. We, most people, obviously, just as a generalization, stay at home for a longer period of time than they do in America. In America, people turn 18, they go away for college, whether it's in-state or out-of-state, but they're at least a couple of hours away from their families. Whereas, obviously, back in Australia, we probably live 20 minutes away from our uni, and um, it's a very different experience. So I've lived in Melbourne, and I identified that I want to move to America to do my MBA, to Mm -hmm. uh, eventually become a sports agent. And rather than going, let's say, and doing a sports, ma- sports management degree specifically, um, which I did explore a lot of them, I didn't want to put all my eggs in that basket. I wanted yeah. to make sure that I had a safety net that was not my chartered accountancy that I got when I was working at Deloitte. I wanted to make sure that I didn't you know, revert back to finance and accounting. 
So I first moved to Sydney just as a stepping stone to like get out of my comfort zone in Melbourne, live yep. out of home. And then I started to basically ramp up my applications for business schools in the US. Uh, I did look, you know, at sports specific MBAs, but I ended up just going for a general MBA. Did choose a sports school in the US and North Carolina just to get a very different experience, like living on a in a college town. That's something we don't really do in Australia unless you're maybe a like a medical student going to a regional spot, maybe like Bendigo, Ballarat, if you're from Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so you know, getting that as opposed to going to a school in a major city like LA or New York. Mm-hmm. So that was the route. That was what I did. I remember I actually wrote in my essay the exact internship I wanted uh, during my MBA, and it was at Wasserman, a sports agency in the US. Um, and you know, I wanted. To, I'm a huge basketball guy, so that also like played into a lot of my decisions. That as an MBA fan, this is yep. obviously the country to be. And uh, funnily enough, I actually did get that dream offer at Wasserman, um, but then I ended up actually rejecting that internship and taking another route and actually deviating from my sports management goals, um, which could lead to another story. But that was probably my entry point to the US, just coming in to do my MBA, which was driven by a desire for sports agency. Yeah. And and honestly, like one of the things you mentioned there, especially following your passion, right? Uh, even though you started off in a particular career path, you had possibly a realization that you know, that's not something that was there for you forever, but you had the skill set and the backing uh, and the courage to be able to at least go overseas and give something else a go, right? At that time, when you were going to America and applying for programs, I guess, uh, did you have a sense of um, you wanted to live in US or was it just a studying path at that time? Yeah, okay, so that's a really good question. Um... I would say speaking to a lot of my mates uh, who had moved to the US uh, from Australia, as well as just Americans I networked with before I made the move, it seemed like it's basically, wait, what's the rule here about cursing, Ankit? <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's try to keep it PG, right? All right. <laughs> we'll keep it PG. We'll keep it PG. Um, essentially, the MB, to summarize it, I think the MBA in America is overvalued to the extent where People kind of put, compared to what we value it in Australia, where I think MBAs, for better or worse, um, obviously I am one now, we're put on a bit of a pedestal here in the corporate world. Whereas in Australia, it's kind of like, yeah, mate, no one gives a shit. Obviously, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but that's the gist of it. Because in Australia, I think the percentage of people that actually have an undergrad education is higher than the US, but not necessarily the master's. Um, like if you take that as your population, okay, it's granted you got a t- uh, undergrad, you got a bachelor degree. How many people in Australia actually go on to get a master's in Australia? How many people go on to get a master's in America? That percentage is as high in America. I, yes. I don't have the data here now to prove this out, but I think there is an emphasis on a postgraduate study in the US. Maybe it's because, I mean, the college system is different. Like in Australia, if you wanted to do medicine, you could do it at the age of 17 in undergrad. Or, or you could be a lawyer. So yeah. when I look at this, people can go to America, do an MBA. You can go to the top school, like or like what's traditionally ranked top school, the Stanfords, the Harvards, the wardens of the world. And if you just come home post-MBA, like if you come back to Australia, you're not going to reap the benefits of that MBA because 
you're going to come home, you'll look for a job. And like I said earlier, whoever's hiring will basically, basically be like, they'll look at you with a bit of a side eye and just be like, why did you do that? Like, why did you just waste two years of your life? Uh, you know, probably had an opportunity cost of $500,000 when you factor in the foregone salary promotions you would have got. You didn't work for two years if you're doing a full-time MBA. And yeah. now you're back in Australia. Why? Like, you could have just stayed in your career. Whereas, so the real value is extracted at how many years do you stay in America beyond the MBA? So to me, my initial intention was, okay, it's a two-year program. And then obviously, like to me, personal life matters. So, you know, I had a girlfriend back in Australia while I was in the US. So that would have played a role in it. So I was looking at, I'm going to do at least one year and potentially up to three years. And to me, it was always an intention of, most likely coming back to Australia, but being open-minded in the US. And also, am I actually following that dream of being a sports agent or not? Because yeah. if I did pursue sports agency, I would be more willing to probably be in the US for maybe 10, 15, who knows how many years. But if I was going another route, because obviously as a sports agent, especially if I'm focused on the NBA, I'm not going to do that from Australia. You know, obviously right. there are, yeah sports agency opportunities but the market is so minuscule compared to america for in you know the sports world um but you know given that i deviated away from the sports world to i could come back to australia but the intention was one to three years and one of the things where i do see value in the american mba and i actually really commend this because i do think overall it is overvalued and you know covid is actually playing a role right now to somewhat slow diminish the value of an MBA. It's mm-hmm. actually skewing younger now and there's more people going into part-time MBAs, exec MBAs, um, online MBAs um, post-COVID. And it's really kind of, not to be kind of condescending here, but lowered the bar for entry to a top MBA program. Yeah. And that's just killing the value a little bit. But the, where I personally saw the value is the ability to pivot. In Australia, this is, not as prevalent, I think people can. I, I definitely did. I was getting pigeonholed in Australia as mm-hmm. a commerce undergrad, you know, majoring in accounting and finance, working at Deloitte, being a CA. Every job opportunity thereafter, you know, was primarily focused on a finance role or accounting role. You know, it would it'd be pretty tough to get a consulting role, a marketing role, a strategy role. In Australia, whereas in America, you know, there are people, I've, I've got a mate who was a primary school science teacher, and oh, wow. then now he's like a strategy consultant. There mm-hmm. are people that go from giving art gallery tours pre-MBA and post-MBA, then private equity. So I do see the ability to pivot in America via an MBA as the biggest kind of value add. But to really make the most of the experience, you want to finish your MBA and then you want to stay at least a couple of years because what Australia does value, while it may not be the MBA itself, and they don't really care what school you went to, the value comes from the US work experience. So if you, yes. do, if you do milk that experience post-MBA, bring that back to Australia, now you're talking. If I look at um, my backup to sports management was uh, CPG. So in Australia, we call it FMCG, right? Fast Moving Consumer Goods, yep. Consumer Packaged Goods in the US. When we look at the CPG space and you look at brands like Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, 
uh, Croft Heinz. Um, if you are an associate brand manager in the US and then you come back to Australia, you're going to be, at, you could potentially, might be a stretch, but get to senior brand manager, but probably at least brand manager and you're going to pay significantly more in the US, even once you factor in exchange rate and cost of living, because it's kind of like satellite offices. You know, the strategy is devised in the US in most cases. And then you have a satellite office in Melbourne or Sydney to carry out that plan. And it's more operational as opposed to strategic. So yes. it is that US experience that really you can parlay that to, you know, opportunities in Australia. So Long-winded answer, but I'd say MBA plus one to three years was the initial kind of goal. Yes, and I, you know, I, I second that in saying all the value that you've built living in US, and you do bring it back here. And really, there is a difference. I'll admit, in terms of how many jobs are available here compared to America, I think America is probably tenfold to what we have here. But also industry-wise, I mean, just the wider net that you get living in the US. I guess let's let's go to the second part of your story. So you've you told us about your initial study uh, in America, and the second part of your story is now living in America. Last few years, you want to share how you got that visa organized? <laughs> Man, yeah. So unfortunately, I was the COVID year. Um, yes. <laughs> so the MBA is so heavily focused on your summer internship. Uh, I interned at Chewy, who is a pet, you know, pet food e-commerce company uh, based in Florida. Yeah. And I, after my summer internship, I did want to give sports one last crack, right? And maybe move away from sports agency. In honesty, the reason I didn't go for sports agency is the offer. It's really an industry. It's a little bit old-fashioned sports. It's kind of like stuck in the 70s and 80s where they want you to start in the mailroom. Like that metaphor <laughs> is kind of true. Yeah. And I was, I was graduating at the age of 30, wasn't something like as much as I want to tr chase a dream and a passion, I am also somewhat pragmatic that at some point I want a family and I want to be able to support that. I'm not going to start at the bottom at the age of 30. And mm -hmm. I decided I'm more passionate about my life than my career, which is why, by the way, I like the turn that you're going, that you've taken here with the questioning. Cause I'm, while, you know, while, you know, your career is important to me. Life is much more important. So yeah. I deviated away from sports, but I wanted to give it one last crack. In Towards the end of the NBA, most people travel a lot in the second year. And I had a couple of mates' weddings overseas in Goa and India and Thailand. And I get back to the US. It was, you know, COVID had started to hit around the world, but hadn't hit Australia or America yet. It's like kind of February. And then yeah. I went on my next trip. It was to Thailand for a mate's wedding. And I was actually, I packed a bag of wedding clothes, like an Indian wedding, so like five days. And then I was going to go directly to New York to recruit and interview and just network for about a week, week and a half. Yeah. It was the spring break, spring break period in the US. So I get to New York and I had, I think, meetings lined up with the Players Tribune there. For those who don't know, it's kind of like a... So Derek Jeter is a ex-baseball player. I played for the New York Yankees. He started basically a, a media outlet where players can write directly to the fans and kind of skip the middleman or middlewoman in terms of the editor. I mean, there's, there's still an editor helping them out, but they're writing their own stories and you know curating the narrative. 
And I had I had a meeting lined up with them and I was going to retouch base with Wasserman and then also reach out to Nike and see what else is out there. Because unlike other industries, sports don't do recruiting like the consulting industry or the investment banking industry yep. mid-year, like during the um, internship process and then fall in America. They mm-hmm. actually do it right when you graduate. So I'm gradu- I'm scheduled to graduate in May. It's March right now. And I'm there. It was Monday. I remember I pulled out my laptop. I'm sitting at a bar in New York. And that's the day COVID hit America. Rudy, oh, wow. Gobert, Rudy Gobert from the Utah Jazz, he kind of went a little bit infamous with a video where he's touching everything. He got COVID. The entire NBA started to catch it. And the games got canceled. And that's when people knew, shit, this is real. Like, oh, wow. COVID yep. happening. It coincidentally hit Australia the same day. So it was... All my things got canceled that week. All my meetings, all my interviews, spoke to a few recruiters. They were just trying to figure out what's going on. Like, do we send our employees home? That was their priority. It was actually my um, baby cousin's wedding coming up a few weeks later in Sydney. And knowing that, you know, there was going to be like lockdown, I started to read about, you know, um, isolation for 14 days, doing the ISO life. I was, there was like, there's no way in hell that I'm missing my cousin's wedding. So I looked at flights to go home. The, I think it was our, I can't remember what the name is like, but the director of our MBA program actually called me and advised me not to come home and to stay in the US. Uh-huh. Um, so I can avoid any like issues with re-entry. Yep. Maybe a little bit arrogant on my part, but I, figured, look, I'm going to Australia. I'm not going to these other countries where COVID's like a hotspot right now or like I'll be fine. And I made the decision to fly home. And it's funny because I had met a girl in New York that week and I said to her, I'll be back in, I should be back in April, right? (laughs) The funny thing is I didn't lie. I did come back in April, but it was the the next year. So (laughs) I was stuck in Australia for, I think, close to maybe 13 and a half months I was in Australia. Um, Obviously, it it kind of derailed everything, right? It derailed my post-MBA plans um, because now I'm stuck in Australia and the only way we were allowed out is if you had a job offer. Yeah. And my – and maybe this will lead to the the next topic probably, but getting a job in America from Australia – like with your feet on the ground in Australia is a very, very challenging process. And it was yes. even, and it was exasperated even more by the fact that it was COVID and there was uncertainty. Like, okay, even if you got a job offer, can you even move? Like, what is the situation? So I took quite a few months off. Uh, I did some consulting for a startup based in North Carolina that I'd networked with while I was there and just did some contracting work with them. And I was just trying to figure out how to get back because there, it, there, it was just close to impossible. Like there's so many sneaky tactics, st- tactics I did that I still recommend to Aussies, by the way, if they want to do it. But I'm not – look, sometimes lying is good. It depends on what stage you're lying at and when you clear it up. Um, <laughs> yes. Google number. Get a Skype number. Get a Google number. If you're going to put it in US – if you're going to like, – create a resume first of all resumes in the u.s are very different they're one page to knock over one page it's very different i see people in australia with like three four five heck i saw some former people i worked for have like seven page resumes i'm like no one cares like it's it's just stupid um 
I do like the one-page format in the US. On the top of that resume, if there's an Australian number, there's a high likelihood a US firm will not reach out to you. Correct. So get a Google number, get a Skype number, get a friend's address in the US if, if you want to put your address on your resume, that is. But just for a phone number, contact, just keep it US. And th- then you, you want them to at least contact you. Have a conversation because once you're in that funnel, make them fall. My theory has always been make them fall in love with you and then you'll, you'll figure out visa stuff later. You'll figure out, just get them to fall in love with you, make them want you, make them invested in you. And then you'll you'll get there, um, and you know this can open up, I guess, a whole kind of can of worms and questions because um, you know I also there, there's also a, a box you usually have to tick about are you authorized to work in the U.S. It can be framed differently. It could be even framed to require sponsorship. Yeah. Theoretically, that's a gray area to me. Um, you on the E3 visa, which once again we may get into. You theoretically don't need sponsorship, as in there's no sponsorship cost. It's right. a signed piece of paper, pretty easy to get. But I'm going to leave it to you in terms of how, if you, if you want to go that direction. Going back to my story, I was networking with a company from Australia, pretty old school company, pretty like, pretty uh, old fashioned in how they operate, and they don't do virtual interviews. So while I was chatting with the CEO, just networking, maybe once a month doing a video calls for me to get hired. The rest of the leadership at the company wanted me to fly to Long Island, New York, something wow. that I couldn't do. I applied for every travel exemption with the Australian government. I kept getting rejected and it was kind of like, well, this is like a chicken in the egg situation. Mm. Um, eventually like I, maybe nine or 10 months later, I'd already started working for that. Um, started contracting for the startup who I did tell, this is short term, I can hopefully bring you value. I was bringing their business into APAC, business development work, while telling them that I was trying to get back to the US. Yep. Eventually, nine, 10 months later, the CEO, that CEO and I, we just kind of said, all right, screw it, let's do it. Like he, he said, what can we do now to get you here? Like we can bypass that formal interview process and all that. And then the E3 visa process began. And by April 2021, there I was in New York. Love it. Love it. That is a, you know, your, your journey is such a unique journey. Not many people that I've met have gone through it. But I think in some ways kind of shows your tenacity of there were a few setbacks in your story, right? Being, having to go back to Australia, uh, you know, you could have taken the easy route and just stay, uh, but you didn't. And so that's, you know, I kudos. <laughs> I, did think, uh, I did think about it. I started to think, all right, maybe this is it. Uh, you know, uh, maybe I should look for opportunities in Australia. I did. I think for about three, four weeks, maybe a month, Yeah, I was applying in Australia. And the question, though, was, do I mislead or am I honest? Because, and I tried both strategies. And what I mean by this is, the Australian company looking to hire, they will see, I, I, I faced two problems. One is I was, even though now I've got broader experience outside of accounting and finance, I was still, according to them, over-indexed on that side. So I was noticing I was getting a lot more offers to be, let's say, a financial controller or a group finance manager for mm. various companies in Australia. And 
I made a promise to myself years ago, I would never do that again. But I was getting to a point of like desperation. Do I do this? Now, mm. even if I say, yes, I, I do do it. I want to do it. They will straight away see in my, in my resume, I've left that world twice already, right? I clearly went to the US to do something else. I'm back. Okay, maybe I can pin it on, on COVID. But then they had this hesitancy. Well, I was a flight risk. And they're completely right. I was a flight risk, right? Because I was going to leave again not just the accounting finance world, but I was also intending to go back to the US. Then I tried the other approach where I said, you know, went to the US. Uh, yes, my intention was something else, but I realized I was actually truly passionate about accounting and finance. That that's where my skill set is. And, you know, I want to remain in the stress. So I tried both strategies. Obviously, when, once I, with strategy number two, I did get way more traction, but then it was like, do I really want this? And last thing I want to do is kind of screw around with the company. So I was trying to see, are there any three-month contracts, month-to-month contracts? Or maybe I sign a six-year fixed-term contract to cover a mat leave or paternity leave. And those were the opportunities as opposed to full-time. So wouldn't give myself so much credit. I mean, yeah, I persevered, I guess, but definitely considered what can I do in Australia in the meantime. Yeah. And the, what really drove me back to the US was it was just this feeling of, I don't know, it sounds corny, but unfinished business. Because when I left, I didn't know I was leaving. My stuff yes. was really, my everything was in my apartment in North Carolina. And I got some mates in, the, in America to put in a storage unit. And I never got to emotionally say goodbye. I wasn't prepared for that. So that was kind of well, I have to go back because I'm going to leave on my terms, not because I was forced due to a pandemic. That's great, honestly. And um, yeah, following, following from that, you know, you've, you've lived now in the US a few years. So what do you love about living in America? Oh, um, man, I think the US is so diverse. It depends where you're living, right? Um, yeah. I've been fortunate prior, even prior to moving to America to travel quite a lot to the US. I've traveled to heaps, here heaps, and um, every city and state has a completely different vibe, right? It's yeah. probably not to the extent of Europe where you know each country in Europe has a completely different culture. While they're different in the US, each city or state, like what you're going to get in Miami is different to what you're going to get in New York, uh, Austin, Texas, LA, San Francisco, Chicago, whatnot. It's still the US. So there are a lot of similarities, but there is something cool about it. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that I've actually always thought was cool about the US is that, but and related to that is actually the mobility, which to me is actually funnily enough, a something I find challenging and also maybe a con with the US, but take someone who maybe, I don't know, grew up in Michigan, right? Yeah. They go away for college. I don't know, Texas. Or Chicago. And then they get a job, their first job out of you know uni, they go to maybe they go to New York, right? They work for four or five years. They go yeah. do their masters, their postgrad, maybe an MBA. Maybe they do that in maybe they decide to go to West Coast, they go to California. Then they get a they get the next job opportunity. Maybe they stay in California. And they move around so much here, it's very common to go to a go to a bachelor or bachelorette party and like the closest friends of someone, they don't know each other. 
And that's fine because we, you know, even in Australia, we all have friends from various walks of life. Yeah. But at some point, they've probably met quite a few times at your house because we're more centralized in Australia around your hub, whether your hub is Melbourne or Sydney. And even the kind of the transplants that go between Melbourne and Sydney, it's a tighter community. So that mobility is incredible in America, but it's also a challenge. Uh, so I think I, I do love it to answer your question there. And the other thing I'd say I really love, or which is very unique, is the college sports culture. Oh, yes. I was right. waiting for you to say sports. <laughs> um, the scene is different. Like, you know, I'm definitely an NBA guy, professional sports over college, but it is different. It's unique. And, you know, me going to Chapel Hill, that is something we don't see in Australia. I remember, like, the buses are all blue, like Carolina, like Carolina blue, uh, which is a thing. Uh, Wells Fargo, my bank, you know, they're meant to be red and yellow. They're blue in North Carolina. You, yeah. my, my, wow. my, when my mom came to visit, uh, wait, did you wait? Did you visit me in North Carolina, Chapel Hill, like it? I did. I did, did once. Yeah. Yeah. If you recall, my, my mom pointed this out too. She's like, Arjun, like, why is every one here dressed the same because every girl, every guy is wearing like an oversized blue Carolina blue t-shirt, right? <laughs> yeah. When when they play, you know, whether it's basketball, football, and they have their tailgates, they have, it's insane like how there's an entire, maybe, I don't know, 30,000 population community that like their economy surrounds this one school. They're passionate about this one school. And maybe it's because America has, I don't know, hundreds of cities or towns because not many cities to be honest. Um, and not all of them have a professional sports team, right? Yeah. Like Alabama don't have a professional sports team. So they all get around their football team, like their college football team. So there are people, which kind of, I've always found it a bit interesting because someone grows up, I don't know, I'm going to make this up. They grow up a Tar Heel fan. So the Tar Heels like North Carolina, right? And then yeah. they, maybe because maybe they grew up a Tar Heel fan because their mom or dad went to that school, right? Or their grandparents. Then they don't get admitted there. They get admitted into, I don't know, UCLA in LA, right? Yeah. And now they're a Bruin. And it's just kind of weird. So you throw out 18 years of loyalty to the Tar Heels and you become a Bruin. And now you're, your three or your four-year college experience, you're now a Bruin for life. So it's, it's kind of weird how they have such a heavy weighting here on your undergrad, but it is cool. It, I'll be honest. I remember I went to my first American football game. It was a college football game. It was in Texas. It was UT in Austin, uh, so Austin versus uh, USC from LA. And there was, I think, 103, 105,000 people for a college sports game. Like, oh, wow. That unbelievable. is the size of the MCG. <laughs> yeah. That's unbelievable. I, I think like even like, you know, myself coming back to Australia now, it's been a year, year and a half. I I still watch college sports. And I think that I just the uh, oh yeah, it's 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 more relevant now, to be honest. Uh there's there's some uh, sports streaming websites now in, in Australia which I've launched and yeah, yeah they showcase you probably have it, right? That's it. That's it. They, they showcase NBA, NFL, college sports, you name it. So, yeah, I think the appetite is growing. But you're right about how towns really, or even cities, get around their sports teams. I mean, I wish my university 
yeah, it's not a culture thing here. It's a completely different culture in America. You know what? You know what? If you look at this, um, we both went to Melbourne Uni, right? Yeah. Do you even know what color Melbourne Uni, like what colors we have? Only the logo of blue, blue and white. That's it. Well, actually, see, there you go. I thought it was actually purple. Maybe I'm wrong, right? Yeah. <laughs> we, I have zero affinity or pride or passion for Melbourne Uni. Don't get me wrong. I had a great uni experience in Melbourne, right? Yeah. I have zero like passion. In fact, my passion is completely from my high school, Melbourne High, right? Yeah. So like all of my passion is high school in Australia. I honestly couldn't care about my uni. If Melbourne Uni played Monash in footy or cricket, how many people are going to show up? Maybe 40, 50 people are going to show up to the game? Exactly. Over here, you got 100,000 packing a football stadium or 20,000 packing a basketball stadium with another 10,000 watching in all the bars. Like it's televised. It's a yeah. multi-billion dollar industry, you know, whereas in Australia, you're not going to get that at the high school level or the college level. In, and even this, at this professional level, it's not necessarily going to be multi-billion, but it, it is so unique, um, this like sports thing. And then... Everything else that surrounds it, the the marching band, the the you know, the cheerleaders, the the um what's the other word? When they do like they do stuff like homecoming games, they oh, yes. they are so talented. Like I don't actually understand like how they're so good at this stuff. The the some some sometimes they're called hype squad, but these are like 17, 18, 19 year old kids who are just unbelievably talented, whether it's gymnastics dance or singing or like just music it's 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 more than just the sport itself yeah it's it's unreal and that's probably one of the things even when i was uh with you in unc we were walking around the campus i could not believe the size of the stadiums i was like <laughs> are we where are we you know what i mean didn't feel like a college at all felt more like a, a, a you know a sports center or something yeah, so, and the facilities are phenomenal. Yeah, living in America. I guess, what advice would you give to someone thinking about moving overseas or they've been sitting on the sidelines? Any tips for the listeners? Just do it. <laughs> no, um, honestly, uh, I'd, I'd say don't overthink it. Like, it's especially, you know, it depends what stage of life you're at. I'm not going to necessarily correlate this to age. What stage of life are you? Mm. And depending on that, we'll probably influence the answer. But if people, I hear way too many people say, oh, but I want to get a job landed first. My feedback has always been, don't try to necessarily secure a job in the US before you leave Australia. Like yes. from, as I said earlier, right at the start, you kind of need your feet on the ground here. And people are much more open to networking in the US. It's definitely more of a thing than they are in Australia, um, which is weird because, you know, Australia is not really a formal culture at all, you know, and maybe it's because the networking here is a little bit formal, a little bit fabricated, but it is what it is. Lean in. People are always down to have a coffee chat here, right? Or meet up, yeah. you, you know, whether you want to chat with a recruiter, someone working in the industry you're passionate about, get a mate to introduce you. Heck, do the LinkedIn outreach. If you reach out to 150 people, maybe you get four responses, right? Um, I would say shoot your shot. That's my, that's my thing here. Now, what, what I recommend is you can come to America on a 90-day tourist visa from Australia. Yes. No issues. 
And you, by the way, you know what? If worst case scenario, if 90 days isn't enough to land something, go to Toronto for a sneaky day. Toronto's a great city, by the way. To me, Melbourne and Toronto up there in world's best restaurant cities. Go to Toronto for a couple of days and then come back to America um, if your 90 days expires. But my point here is enjoy yourself, travel, and make sure you schedule. Because it'll not only will it increase your probability of getting something, like meeting a recruiter, sitting down with someone, you'll also get a feel for the country. Is this what you want, right? Yeah. There are definitely pros and cons weigh them up and you won't know that until you're here you know depending on what industry you're looking at there's definitely like challenges with the u.s in terms of the leave culture it's very frowned upon to be honest yes completely different to take more than two like it's like they're cool here taking five six day holidays right but you want to take more than two weeks at a stretch it's kind of like frowned upon and even companies that offer i hate this term by the way they offer putting i'm putting quotation marks here unlimited leave it's not not unlimited leave Uh, the the more appropriate word is undefined leave meaning there's no contract it's there's no like fixed thing it could you know you might take two weeks you might take seven weeks um it's kind of just like sorted out which is fine i respect that but usually take more than two weeks at a time it's pretty rare whereas you know you go around the world there'll be aussies traveling for six weeks seven weeks at a stretch um so just make sure you know what you want and you can gauge that in that 90-day period. And you will be able to apply for jobs before you get here, schedule meetings with recruiters, get your friends to get you in touch with people, set up, like, for example, I know people in America now. So if someone's coming from Australia, I can tee up a lunch, a coffee uh, between someone looking from Australia and, and someone who's living here, whether they're American or Australian living here. and. Yeah. I'd say utilize those 90 days, enjoy your travels. If you if you get something, great. You know what you do? And I know quite a few mates who have done this. Go back to Australia, pack up your things, take whatever time you need. If you can turn it around in two weeks, great. If you need a month to just get things in order, right? Go back to Australia and return. Um, that yeah. E3 visa is phenomenal. I think it's... So it's part of the Australian and American Free Trade Agreement. It's the best visa for a non-american to get into america it's actually even more favorable than the canadian visa the tn visa main reason being australians get like some kind of spousal privilege so if someone had a spouse in australia the partner can come and work on the same visa the e3 visa whereas a canadian they can the, the partner can come to the u.s but they cannot work on that visa so we've actually got a very privileged visa and it rolls over indefinitely. Like it rolls over every two years. It's valid indefinitely as long as you're employed. And if you change employer, just get a new piece of paper, leave the country for a day, come back. Like it's so easy. So that is my main kind of advice. Take, use the 90 days. Set a few things up before you get here. Once you get here, have your feet on the ground and you'll get success. Then two, kind of even once you're here and like you're looking for various opportunities, especially in New York and to a lesser extent in like San Francisco, like I think that's probably the number two city for Australians to migrate to the U S with the um, kind of like tech industry, all the now everything's virtual. New York has a pretty strong Australians in New York community. You were probably part of the Facebook page as well. And oh, yes. there are people Love that, it. you know, who are always looking to hire or always down for a coffee chat, leverage that too. Yeah. 
I think I think you're absolutely right. I think networking is key. You know, you got to put in some of the hard work, hustle a little bit, um, because you're gonna want to want it right in the first place. You can't just go there expecting uh, miracles. You do need to put in some of the work. Um, but yeah, those are definitely some really I good. I think stuff. that's why it's important to have your feet in the ground because a lot yes. of American companies or recruiters, or whatever you want, hiring managers. They're a bit skeptical if they see that you, oh, you live in Australia, like, right? First yeah. of all, a lot of them, and I'll be, I'll be real here, a lot of them, I've been through it, I've navigated this, I've helped others. Um, a lot of American employers don't actually know about the E3 visa. Yes. So they actually bucket an Australian in the same categories those looking for an H1B visa. Right, so the H one B visa, they have to enter a lottery. They may or may not get it. There's sponsorship. There's a lot of admin, and it's like, are they? Is it worth the effort for the employer? So mm-hmm. I actually did a couple of things. I that box I re- referred to earlier about like, are you authorized to work in the US? I would just tick yes because I'll sort it out later because it's a it's a gray area. You know, it's a technicality and it's a gray area though, and. I actually have, and I recommend everyone do this. Always willing to share this, by the way. It's saved on my laptop. I have a little spiel. It's like maybe two or three sentences followed by three or four bullets, like Mm. a short paragraph actually outlining the E3 visa to whoever the HR manager or the recruiter is or the hiring manager. Um, And I send this on an email, either post-interview or in some cases before I use my judgment. And it just gives them the reassurance that it's not we're not bucketed in the same kind of segment as someone who's coming from India, someone who's coming from Indonesia, someone who's coming from China. We actually are in a very different position. We're privileged. We're lucky as an Australian. Like even New Zealand don't have this. So why not utilize it? Because we have it. Um, so I, I will say know the E3 visa and send a couple of bullets outlining it because maybe the employer or the recruiter you're speaking to does not know about it. You want to put their concerns to rest, right? Yes. And then going back, I got a bit derailed there, but going about uh, going back to what I said about being in America with your feet on the ground, you just hit the nail on the head because it shows intention that you are there and you're willing to hustle because you're just being lazy. You're in Australia you're applying online, not really doing much about it. It doesn't show intent. If you are actually there with your feet in the ground, feet on the ground in the in America, it shows. Oh, he wants this. She wants this. Yeah. So definitely, that's my number one advice. Number two, being reach out to the networks. Uh, you know, the Facebook pages, and three, have your E three kind of pitch ready. Absolutely, all all very good advice. So. Uh, switching gears, you touched base a little bit on uh, uh, technology. So, you know, as you know, Australia has a shortage of talent, especially in the tech sector at the moment. In your opinion, how do you think Australia can remain competitive in the global market for talent? Are you, are you referring to retaining Australian talent or are you referring to attracting global talent to Australia? I'd say more on the attracting part of Australia. Got it. All right, so definitely not an area 
that, I mean, I have some ideas and opinions, but definitely not an area, like I want to qualify this, where I am by no means, I'm not even close to an expert on this, right? Um, I'm not as glued in here. But my, to me, not many people are going to move to Australia for a career opportunity. Mm-hmm. They're moving to Australia for the lifestyle. Yes. So honestly, it comes from there. You know, like that's where it really comes from. It's not going to come from someone looking for a much better career opportunity in Australia. If you're looking for the better work-life balance, if you're looking for just your overall lifestyle, like outside of work, if you're moving to Australia for other reasons, maybe family, maybe friends, loved ones, it's like that comes first. And now you look, okay, I'm, I've decided I want to move to Australia. And then, by the way, there were people I met in America that want, you know, that wanted to do this. There were people that have had lifelong goals and dreams to some travel to Australia for eight weeks. Some wanted to live in Melbourne or Sydney. So they make that decision first. Like, let's go travel to Australia or, vi- or live in Australia. And then yeah. it's like, okay, we, we want it. We've identified we want to live in Australia. Now let's look at the career opportunities. It doesn't, in my experience and people I've spoken to, I don't think people make the career decision first to move to Australia. Yes. Definitely not from the US. Like I think other countries do, right? If someone's coming from India, Southeast Asia, they look at Australia from a career perspective, right? Because they're looking at it really hand in hand. They want the lifestyle. They want maybe a first world country, uh, you know, obviously the cleanliness, the safety and the career opportunities, um, the other benefits outside of just like, like I mean, related to career, but like benefits to do with your entitlements outside of pure salary. Then you have the then you have the British population, which you could probably speak to better than more than I can. But once again, a lot of Brits they move to Australia, but that's once again predominantly driven by non work related stuff. It's driven by lifestyle and personal reasons. Yes, and I think. I think lifestyle is definitely a big theme here. Uh, you know, even with some of our uh, other uh, podcast interviews that we've had, and certainly true. I think there's various differences that exist in terms of, uh, you know, you touched on uh, annual leave entitlements. Um, I guess we haven't really touched on cost of living, but that's a whole different topic. But there's very various reasons, right? Um, I do hope that you know Australia does remain viable for. Uh, people who want to move here and work in our industries, including the tech industry, because I think it is a great country to live in. And uh, whilst there's differences, I think you'll probably have an enjoyable life here too, even if it's for a few years of work. Let me ask you a question, Ankit. Two questions. Well, because one, it will one's a statement. Because um, that that E3 visa, it's part of the free trade agreement. It's actually a reciprocal agreement, right? So that's right. theoretically, the same under the same agreement. The U- people in America should be coming to Australia. And I don't know the numbers here, but I'm going to assume that there's a lot more people going from Australia to America than the other way around for a couple of years, whether it's two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, even up to 10 years for an E3 visa. It doesn't go the other way around. So if I asked you, I'm going to ask you a question here. If you were in charge of an initiative for Australia to attract American talent, to Australia, how yeah. would you go about it? 
if you had to put the policy and strategy in place? Yes, that is a good question. I mean, I would target probably firstly the industries, right? So say if we want to grow our tech industry, reach out to those tech companies in America or firstly, hey, do you want to have a remote office in this country? What incentives can we give you? That's one. Number two is, okay, we see you have employees in the U.S., but we can offer some visas which allow them to come here and work here remotely, especially if it's an all-remote company, right? Because I know there's a lot of tax issues with uh, being remote, and you have to be in U.S. specifically at times. So, but yeah, I think it's really working with the industry as opposed to just coming up with uh, policies and visas which you hope people will come. Would um, you leverage, would you leverage, because you know, you're not looking at this from a specific company's perspective. You're looking at it from Australia's perspective, like yeah. our economy and, you know, maybe our tourism industry, our labor industry. Would you utilize the lifestyle thing that I was alluding to earlier and make lead with that in the pitch, right? So the pitch is essentially getting the talent to Australia by pitching the lifestyle. I think that will definitely help. I think that will definitely help. You know, it's because there's definitely differences that exist in the lifestyle uh, from here compared to what you see in US. Um, let's take an example. Imagine you have a company like Google. They have offices in US, they have offices in UK, and they also have offices here in Melbourne and Sydney. Now, obviously, much smaller offices here. If you think about the culture of these companies, they're probably similar to some extent, but there might be some uh, different benefits that are applied here. Obviously, there's no 401k in Australia. That's an American thing, but there'll be superannuation here. Well, but the, you know, over here, this 401k is not mandatory in America. That's right. That's right. right. Super yep. is mandatory in Australia. Exactly. And usually, I think, and it's been quite a few years since I negotiated a salary in Australia, but the salary you negotiate, right? The super is on top of what you, the salary. It doesn't come That's out right. of it. The nine and a half or whatever percent it is, is on top. So, yeah, but that is definitely a difference. Um, that is right. It is now 11%. Oh, it's 11? Okay, so I'm outdated. I think I'm stuck in like 2017. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. And then there's the part like, obviously I mentioned the leave, the travel. You know, I mentioned like, you know, people, you can travel for more weeks of stretch, especially, you know, once you have a family and all that. Yeah. But then the other part is you hear it from Americans all the time. It's cutthroat here, right? Yeah. There's a work obsession. It's yes. become better. And I think the tech industry, I mean, I'm in tech now. I was never in tech. I was never interested in tech. Like I've honestly just never really cared about it, but I'm in it now. I've been in it for about a year. <clears throat> um, the tech industry has probably helped America in terms of that work-life balance, right? And I think it's been compounded because of COVID and being fully remote or hybrid that people are prioritizing aspects of their life outside of uh, outside of work yes but outside of tech america is still a relatively speaking work obsessed country right within yeah. the corporate like within the 
ter- let's let's kind of narrow the population within the tertiary educated part of America. There is an obsession with work competitiveness. There are people here. I think when they're in like middle school, bro, they 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 are already working on college applications. Like they're building up their resumes at the age of twelve <laughs> and thirteen. Like yes. they're doing some stuff that I never would have imagined. Like for myself, like it's like really high achieving, which is a positive. Like these kids are super talented, highly driven. But at what cost? Are yeah. they like? Are they like f- sacrificing a childhood or like teenage years purely focused on fun? Are they? You know, it's so competitive because they're trying to get involved in all these leadership activities, extracurricular activities, and a lot of the times, and this is, and that's great if that's what you want to do. But I feel like there are so many teenagers here who don't want to do it but feel like they have to do it right because yeah. maybe at the age of 10 they got a goal we want to go to stanford yeah and they are working on all these initiatives which are great for the community like charity work social enterprise then they're working on their grades then they're working on writing a powerful story because over here you actually have to apply to a college it's not just based on your one you know, for me, it was VCE back in the day. I think it's like ATAR score, whatever it's called now, ATAR score, score. Like in Melbourne, I just knew, okay, I needed above 95 and I'm into Melbourne Uni, right? Yes. Um, over here, there's a lot more. So I think that's got to factor in. And it just, it all stems working backwards. You look, it's the obsessive corporate culture, which requires uh, education. Or not. I mean, there's obviously anomalies and there's people who, going against the grain. There's people who definitely defy the odds. and But to increase your probability, you have to have gone to one of those top schools. To get into those top schools, you've got to have done all this extracurricular things from the age of 13. And yes. it just works backwards there. So that is, once again, maybe something, maybe a reason why people will want to migrate to Australia just for a little bit more of a relaxed culture. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know it can it can start from uh, doing your international studies here, perhaps just like you wanted to go to US and maybe uh, have that opportunity back in your university days. Yeah, you know anyone at university uh, uh, in uh, US can do the same coming to Australia. Oh, if, wherever I end up living, if I stay in the US and I have kids here, I'm highly, I'm definitely going to encourage them. You know, they're going to make their own decision, but encourage them, go study abroad, whether that's the UK, Europe, Australia, Singapore, I don't know, do it, do it twice. Do one semester in Australia, see where your dad's from, do one semester in UK, Europe. (laughs) Um, And similarly, if I do end up living in Australia, I would 100% encourage my kids to do exchange the other way, do a semester or two in the US do a semester in the UK or Europe, like get, like, just get that experience. I don't like, it doesn't matter where you're from, go travel, go get experience, whether it's education or working or even just traveling for fun. I will always encourage that. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Same here. Same here. So, you know, you've been living overseas for a while. What do you miss about Australia? Oh, Man, <laughs> a lot. Uh, luckily, I, I do try to come home uh, minimum once a year. Usually, I try to come home for at least a month. Uh, sometimes, I try to come home twice a year. 
kind of yeah. just depends. Um, there's so many things I miss. I think the number one thing that stands out is your commute, my community and culture. So what I mean by that is it's, it's my immediate family. It's my, that tight knit community that I have. And I'm, you know, I've lucky that I have a pretty large one, which as I mentioned earlier, it's a little bit different in the U S because people migrate around so much that yep. there's so many people here. And maybe, it's, I mean, I, I know I've lived in like these large cities, like I've lived in, I mean, outside of North Carolina, I've lived in New York, I've lived in LA. I actually also spent a couple of months in Miami, right? But when you look at New York and LA, most people aren't from here, right? They're all transplants. Yep. And New York's definitely a more connected city. And uh, whether, whether it's social, whether it's dating, you, it's pretty, it's easier to forge close relationships in New York than it is in somewhere like LA. But overall, they, there are, unless you're like from New York, stayed in New York, been there for 15, 20 years, similarly the same thing for LA, there is a, I guess, it is more difficult, it's not impossible, to find the people who have that crew here. A lot of people may work in New York for two, three, four, five years, and then go back to wherever they're from. That could be Michigan, it could be North Carolina, could be, um, you know, Maryland, wherever that is. Yeah. I missed that about Australia because, you know, I think one of the fun facts, I got to like probably update, the, like check what the actual data is now. Just, I'm just making it up. But I always tell Americans, okay, Australia is nearly as big as America land-wise, right? Yes. But like 86% of our population lives in like five metropolitan cities. You know, or five yeah. or six, whatever it is, like Melbourne, Sydney, Brizzy, Adelaide, Perth, right? And so I say it's kind of like imagine the American map, but it's only New York, Miami, LA, San Francisco, and then like either Chicago or Dallas or something. Like that is Australia. Yeah. That's what I tell America. Everything in the middle, while it exists in Australia, no one really lives there. Like it's, you can't, you can't, it's uninhabitable. And, uh, I think that really surprises Americans because they just think all the stereotypes, well, not they, as in not, a lot of Americans think yeah. it's just like all the stereotypes of Australia, like the spiders and snakes and all <laughs> And look, they're out there. The funny thing is I've never seen a snake in my life outside of Heels Little Sanctuary. Like I've yeah. never seen one just out, you know, Same, where yeah. people have seen that going for hikes in America and stuff. So those I'm sure they exist somewhere in Australia, but not in the cities. You won't see that in Melbourne and Sydney. So I think we, you know, if you're from Melbourne or Sydney, you know, that's 40, I think it's what five and a half million people in each city. That's more yep. than 40% of Australia's population in two cities. So most people are going to be in one of those two hubs and they're always going to have, you know, they went to primary school with someone high school they went to uni they worked they may maybe went to sydney they came back they're always going to have these friends that they've known for 15 20 25 years and there's also the sports clubs you know the sports club culture we have in australia you know the cricket club footy club whatever it may be that community is a lot more prevalent i think england is similar but like we really have that camaraderie and Americans yeah. have that for periods of time. They might have that with their uni friends, their fraternity, sorority, bro 
fraternity sorority brothers and sisters but it's it's a rare thing to have and for me personally that's what i miss the most that's yeah it's so true i mean these were a lot of the points you touched on is similar to what i was going through when i was uh, overseas but uh well arch uh this has been a fantastic chat um you've given some really good tips here i do have one final question for you and it's a it's a fun question so what one australian and one american snack would you recommend to our listeners and why (laughs) uh easy uh start with australian so every time i do come home or someone visits me i try to bring as many of these back as i can um grain waves i freaking love yes oh yes grain waves uh sweet chili um sour cream and chives both amazing i get i definitely load up on those i mean and there's always tim tams everyone loves tim tams um they're the two that i bring back predominantly grain waves so if anyone comes and visits me they better bring grain waves the funny thing is uh frito-lay who's owned by pepsico they actually make grain waves and in america there is an equivalent it's not the same though it's called sun chips so i do load up on sun chips over here they're a little bit thinner they're not as flavorful, but they're still pretty damn good. Uh, but they're not grain rates. Also, the, f- the flavor profiles are a little bit different. I actually spoke to a senior director at PepsiCo when I was in Texas uh, just recruiting. And I asked her about this. And she was like, oh, my God, I love grain rates. I'm like, why? And I'm like, you know, I'm like, why don't you have a flavor like sweet chili in America? I don't know. She pointed to some data about, you know, over here, it's garden salsa. You know, they where they tailor flavors based on the demographic. But. Yeah, weird. Well, I feel like Australia and America should have the same taste. A lot of markets actually look at Australia. A lot of the US kind of companies look at Australia as a test market. Um, like uh, one of my favorite stories is like the share a Coke with. Remember that? Like share a Coke with, and it's like old mate or whatever. That campaign was that idea originated with an Australian brand manager at Coke in Australia in Melbourne, and then it reached America. They oh, wow. it, and then they actually rolled it out in Australia first as a pilot because Australia being an island, the risk was lower. And it's a relatively reflective demographic and population to the US. So good test market. Anyway, derailed there. Uh, Grain Waves and Tim Tam's close second. Yeah. American Snack. Oh, there's a lot. Um, if we're going to stick on the chips theme, uh, Hot Cheetos. So Cheetos. Oh, yeah. hot- Hot Cheetos, they are like, because um, the Cheetos in Australia, I think, are different. They're more like, sorry, the Cheetos in America are like, they're kind of shaped like a twisty. Yes. Whereas in Australia, the Cheetos are like a ball, right? If I'm, yeah. So, yeah, that's right. Hot Similar. Cheetos are phenomenal. I will warn you, though, like, your fingers get really red. <laughs> you have to work <laughs> your laptop. Make sure you wash your hands because it'll destroy your keyboard. Um, oh, gosh. Outside of that, I think. I love, especially when I was living in New York, bagels. I love, oh, I love, like, yeah. I love a good lox bagel. And now living in LA, living in California, while I think Melbourne's a phenomenal restaurant city, one food, one kind of type of cuisine which is phenomenal here, uh, is the Mexican cuisine in LA. And yes, unbeatable. Man, I love a good like Mex. They do so many types of like fusion things here but like i love a good brekkie burrito they do korean style tacos they do like indian style mexican and it's just the range here even just simple tacos and burritos is phenomenal so 
definitely a win for America on that side. And if I ever do go back to Australia, definitely going to miss that. <laughs> so, so true. It's definitely been uh, one of the things that I found uh, quite challenging to find uh, a nice Mexican place. <laughs> I've, I've probably found one in Kensington. Uh, but apart from that, that's about it in Melbourne. But uh, there used to be a good joint uh, near Melbourne Uni. It got closed down, unfortunately. Um, I can't remember. It was called Los Amates. It was um, in the Fitzroy area, just near Uni. Uh, that was really, really good. But outside of that, I don't really have a spot other than like obviously we're looking at more the fast food side of things. Guzmini Gomez, love Guzmini Gomez. Um, and oh, you know what? I'm, you know what? You did oh, yes. snacks, so maybe that's why I omitted it. If you ask me favorite food item from Australia, without a shadow of a doubt, Nando's. Oh, yes, of course. So Nando's is the They have a few Nando's locations in the Chicago area and the D.C. area. So Maryland, Virginia, D.C. And I've tried it in both locations, It and I've talked to other people who have tried it. It is not the same. Like, the quality is actually kind of crap that I wouldn't even have it here in America anymore. But I miss Nando's. <laughs> to me, that that's number one. So, so true. In fact, I've been to the one in Chicago. It's uh, There was one not too far from the bean. I remember that. Uh, oh, yeah, I yeah. Think I've been to the exact same one. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I could not believe my luck. I'm like, like I can't believe Nando's is the here. The chips were <laughs> undercooked. The chips were undercooked. Or like, you know, then the, the next time I went, it was overcooked. And I don't know what it is. They, aesthetically, they don't look as great. The chefs don't, maybe they don't know how to cook. I don't know. Maybe the, oh, the so staff is not as high. It's like they don't know what to do. And it's, I think, therefore, it's actually branded even lower. Like, it's because overall, fast food in America is actually lower than fast food in australia like if you look at a taco bell or i mean by the way people love taco bell here but uh if you <laughs> look at mcdonald's if you look at a Macca's, the exterior here is not as well maintained right yeah australia brands it as family restaurant right yeah <laughs> in america it looks like a rundown like rundown like random building in the middle of nowhere it's like a very different branding and Nando's actually gets put in that category in the U.S., whereas in Australia, I'd call Nando's like a upscale fast food, right? I mean, it's it's good. I will say that the quality here has dropped. I will tell you that much that the portions are getting smaller. The quality has dropped. But right. we need to have a word with Nando's then. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Anyone from Nando's listening, you know what you got to do. <laughs> I'm gonna check. I wonder if DoorDash uh, work with Nando's. as in. On the on the side of the business I work on, I wonder if we handle uh, Nando's. I think we do actually. Yeah, we do. So, all right, let me see if we can put a word in. <laughs> oh, perfect. Thank you. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for your time, Arjun. Um, you know, tell us tell us what you've been up to recently and how our listeners can reach out to you if they have any further questions. Yeah, uh, what I've been up to. So, yeah, I've been I moved to LA earlier this year, and I am just trying to. I'm definitely like focusing more on the lifestyle part, you know, like non-work related stuff. I, I am working in tech. I work in strategy um, kind of with a partnerships focus for DoorDash. Yep. Loving it actually. I honestly, if I, if I have to be fully transparent, which I do want to be, um, 
I moved for three reasons, right? Like as in this job, I wanted three things out of this job. I wanted work from home flexibility. I didn't have that in my last gig. I want the ability to travel more. Uh, yeah. So you know, I think this year, I'm an accountant, but this year itself, I'm at, I've already, I think I was in Australia for seven weeks over the turn of the new year. And I've gone on a, quite a few trips. Like, you know, I went to Europe in June, July. I went to Vietnam recently. I'm actually going back to Europe in a week and a half. So that was another thing I was looking for. And then three, just pay me more. So to fund, <laughs> to fund the yeah. travels, right? You got to fund the travels. So to me, that's what I'm up to, you know, working, working in a, working with a great team that, and just doing a job that is allowing me to live my life. And I think that is like, that's what everyone's different. Everyone's got a different drive and passion for me. That passion is the lifestyle stuff and the travel. So while I'm not doing that sports dream that I had envisioned at the age of 25, I uh, am working in a space that I enjoy and can at least see myself in for the next couple of years and then kind of play it by ear. And funnily enough, in my last job when I was working for a beverage company in New York, I had sports opportunities come knocking because the same... I had uh, NBA players agents reaching out to me because they're all looking for like endorsement deals. So it's kind oh, of wow. funny and hi- ironic that I was now on the other side of it and getting reached out to by NBA players, some celebrities and just very interesting. Um, and it's funny how like things can work out like that. Cause now I have a direct line if I wanted to tap into that space again. Um, so yeah, that's what I've been up to probably, um, you know, I usually come back to Australia over the summers, enjoy my time there. And who knows where I'll be in a couple of years, kind of up in the air between Australia and America. Um, yep. And uh, if people want to reach out for advice or just connect, you know, feel free to get me on LinkedIn. Um, Arjun Dinger, you can look me up. LinkedIn and, you know, reach out to Ankit. He'll connect you with me. Always happy to jump on a call 20, 30 minutes, you know, just have a chat, see what your goals are, see what you're trying to do and always happy to pass on advice for what it's worth. Perfect. Perfect. I'll, I'll make sure to add that to the uh, show notes with the LinkedIn link. But uh, Arjun, once again, thank you once for joining us. It's been fantastic chat. I think some of the tips here and the advice you've given, I think, really will resonate with our listeners, uh, especially if they're thinking about going overseas and uh, appreciate you coming on today. And best of luck with everything and hopefully see you soon You're back yes. in Australia to catch up. <laughs> of course. Of course. I'll see you in what, a couple of months or hopefully two months. 100%. Right. All right. Cheers, thank you. Appreciate your time yeah. and uh, love what you're doing with the podcast. Keep it going. Although I will say, maybe just uh, work on the name. I think I think <laughs> knowing you, knowing you, give yourself a bit of credit here. You're more creative than what is it? Austra- what is it? What is it? United States from Australia? Is that what it's called? Or the other? That's right. That's yeah. right. Come on, you can do better. You can do better. You know whether you call yourself the digital nomad, the nerdy nomad, the knowledgeable nomad. I don't know. Um, I think I think, you know. Maybe you, I know your love for coffee. Maybe tie that into the name, but you can do better. 
Well, you know, it's the year of the AI. Maybe I'm going to have to ask uh, one of these. Right. You can't, do not ask AI. <laughs> yourself, all right? you uh, I also, I think, you know, you've got a very unique experience. I think, what, seven years in London, what, four or five years it was in America, I think. Yes. You know, kind of looking at this from a complete expat lens as opposed to just America. I think there's a lot of good stuff there and you're one of the few people that have got, I mean, I mean, beyond those three countries, you've also obviously lived in other countries like India and Nigeria, but from, yes. a, work, from a work point of view, you've got like a trifecta here between Australia, England and America. And in a lot, a lot of people do feel like Australia is like the child of Australia, America and England for just, not just from a work point of view, but like pop culture, slang, lingo, where we adopt the best practice, Aussies adopt the best practices from, you know, America and England. And we're, we're largely influenced by both countries. And you've, you've lived that, you've seen it. So definitely think that you have that unique point of view. I appreciate I, all the kind words, Arjun. And all right, uh, wait, work on that name, all right? I want, I want to see in a month, I want to see on Spotify a better name. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right, chat to you soon, bud. Yeah, see you in a kit. Chat to you, mate. Bye. Catch you.